All right, guys, let's talk about Jägermeister. They could have written a totally normal ad here, like a really classic ad. They could have talked about their history, the 56 botanicals. It could have been all salesy and cutesy, but they know you don't care. Jägermeister doesn't want to be like all those other ads you've seen and heard. They just wanted to say two things. Jägermeister is great, but everyone has been drinking it wrong. Damn, that's cold. Drinking it wrong? All right, if that's the case, how should we be drinking it? They are so glad you asked, and so am I, Dad. I'm here to help you. Ice cold is the answer, at zero degrees Fahrenheit to be exact. Ice cold shots of Jägermeister. That's it. That's all they want to tell you. So wherever you are, if you're hanging out with friends or at the bar, call the shots. Cheers with ice cold shots of Jägermeister. Damn, that's cold. And remember to check out Jägermeister at www.draftkingsxjägermeister.com. Remember, drink responsibly. Jägermeister liqueur, 35% alcohol by volume, imported by Mast Jägermeister US, White Plains, New York. Lots of things go better together. Hockey, food, golf, peanut butter and jelly, Gojo and Golik, Taylor Swift and Travis Kelsey. What? But if you really want to take things to the next level, drink some Labatt Blue Lights with your friends and live life to the power of we. Always enjoy responsibly. Beer, Labatt USA, Buffalo, New York. You're listening to DraftKings Network. What's up, everybody? Welcome to Gojo and Golik. Mike Golik Jr., Mike Golik Sr., Emerson Latzia, hanging out in the DraftKings studio in Boston. We got a great show for you guys today, as always. Make sure you're downloading, subscribing, rating, and reviewing us, leaving a five-star rating and checking us out live Monday through Friday here on DraftKingsNetwork.com, DraftKings YouTube channel, Samsung TV+, Plus, Roku, and more. Steve Avila, offensive lineman, rookie standout for the Los Angeles Rams, going to join us for the show today, as well as Lorenzo Alexander, former Buffalo Bills linebacker. As dad, we get set for Super Wild Card Weekend coming up. It's finally here. We have gone through and waited through so much coaching news in the last few days. This week has felt long as hell coming off the short week last week for the new year. And now we finally get to the actual football spread out Saturday to Monday. Yeah, listen, we know this is what happens now until you get to that, that, that first playoff weekend as all the coaching talk, and it got magnified with, uh, with Belichick being involved and obviously Saban on the college side, Pete Carroll as well, and all the openings that we have. But yeah, now, now it's down to football. Now it is down to – it's always interesting when you get to the playoffs and it's one and done. You always have that next week where you can make things up. Now you don't. So to me, I always look for players – First off, players that aren't the stars, who steps up, who becomes that guy that makes some plays that not a lot of people know. And the other thing is, do you press? You know, do you try and do more than you should because you know if you lose the game, you're going to go home. You know, football is about 11 guys on the field and trusting the guy next to you to do his job. So are there, are there players out there, and there are every year in every game and not just the playoffs, that sometimes try and do too much because so much is on the line of moving on. And that's always an interesting situation. Something I think like a team like Philadelphia is already there. Philadelphia is not used to being, you know, what they used to being what they were is 10 and 1, even though not playing great, but then losing 5 or 6. You wonder if the frustration in the press level that starts to hit, and now it gets magnified because – the, the wildest thing about the playoffs, and I made it, you know, I think three, four times or so, lost in the first round except for one year. Uh, one year we won the wild card round, went to the divisional round. But the thing about it is when you make the playoffs, you think you're going to make a run. 
And it's so wild that you prepare everything to win that game and move on. And then the loser, losing team, the next day, you're at the facility packing up your locker. It's wild. I mean, it's just a weird sensation that that season is now over. Uh, whatever team structure this is, is not going to be the same the next year. So you think it's going on, and then boom, when the, when the clock hits zeros, it's over and you're cleaning everything out. Yeah, a bunch of creatures of habit having their habit and routine ripped away from them pretty unceremoniously here. And you mentioned there's going to be a lot of teams with varying approaches to this. We've got a lot of the juicy storylines that come with that between Matthew Stafford making his return trip back to Detroit in the hottest ticket of the weekend, some of the age versus experience with the Texans and the Browns kickstarting the weekend, Joe Flacco, who's made a Super Bowl run against the C.J. Stroud-led Houston Texans team that might be young enough to not know what they don't know, and teams like the Kansas City Chiefs, the Philadelphia Eagles that are def, you know, defending Super Bowl appearers but might not be the full version of themselves that we saw during last season. How do they grapple with that? Do they press? That's all going to be there. But, uh, Dad, you said do your job. Good time to revisit yesterday as before we got off the show, we hadn't heard from Bill Belichick, Robert Kraft, as that was the big news from yesterday amongst others in that 24-hour yeah. stretch that saw Pete Carroll and Nick Saban also call it quits at their respective locations. Bill Belichick and the New England Patriots fully labeling this as mutually agreeing to part ways. And yesterday, after our show got done, we saw Bill Belichick and Robert Kraft both get up at the press conference and talk about this tenure and what it meant to the organization. Uh, Robert and I, after a you know, series of discussions, have uh, mutually uh, agreed to um, part ways. And uh, for me, this is a day of um, you know, gratitude and celebration. Uh, we had a vision of you know building a winner, building a championship football team here, and uh, that's exceeded exceeded my my wildest dreams um, and expectations. Uh, the amount of success that we were able to achieve together, so many fond memories and and uh, thoughts that I you know think about the Patriots and and uh, I'll always be a Patriot. I look forward to coming back here, uh, but at this time, uh, you know we're gonna we're gonna move on, and uh, I look forward. I'm excited for the future. Um, but always very, very appreciative of the opportunity here, the support here, uh, and, you know, the, what, Robert, what you've done for me. Thank you. Coach Belichick will forever be celebrated as a legendary sports icon here in New England, and I believe go in as a pro football Hall of Famer on the first ballot. Why? Because he is the greatest coach of all times. Which makes this decision to part ways so hard. But this is a move that we mutually agreed that is needed at this time. Mutually agree is always going to draw eyes from me. Yeah. Yeah. It's almost never a mutual agreement. And I think it was just a couple of days ago we heard Bill Belichick insinuate that he'd be willing to give up GM duties to potentially stick around in New England. So, Dad, I have a feeling there was one side that wanted this a little bit more than the other. But I was amazed with the amount of like grace and yeah. fondness that Bill Belichick talked about the experience with. Well, I'm, I'm glad he did, you know, because... These are one of those situations, and they don't always end amicable. I mean, it's like at the end of the day, you look at it as a business, from the, and we came at it from the player side of, and that's the one thing you try and get a, 
to past younger players who remember it's a business, don't take things personal because a lot of times they get personal or you get a bad ending. And I'm glad this one ended well because I'm with you. I don't believe in the mutual thing. Bill still wants to coach. So, I mean, I would imagine Bill would have liked to keep coaching there. Uh, so that that was but but I'm I'm happy it went this way because he'll back he'll be back at least for two reasons one when he's with another team coming into play in New England and the other the day he goes in the Ring of Honor uh, at New England so that that's a given um, I I was happy it went that way because you try and listen for little one liners you know that oh, yeah. that may may have things go a different way but I never really heard that I, I just heard that the fondness and the mutual respect. He had a great one-liner to start. I mean, Bill Belichick tried to come out guns blazing with jokes. Said, this is the most people I've seen in here since we signed Tebow. Everyone kind of didn't know how to react because they're uh, so not uh, used to Bill coming out there and actually trying to be funny. So it, it, it's it's now in a spot, Dad, for Robert Kraft and the Patriot side where a tremendous amount of pressure there, right? Because you have, before they were ready, and while they're going to say it's mutual, again, we got the indication from Bill he would have still wanted to be here, and I believe that's probably the case. If you're Robert Kraft, you have done the difficult thing, and, and we know in a lot of ways in sports, it's better to be early than, early than late. See what the Packers have done with Jordan Love and how that appears to be paying dividends for them. That's what the Seahawks are trying to do right now with Pete Carroll and ousting him and trying to usher in a new era. But if you're Robert Kraft, you have now moved on from Tom Brady before he was ready to be done playing and watched him lift a Lombardi like we talked about yesterday. And now you're moving on from Bill Belichick before there would have been, I, I think, the ending that he would have liked there. And so what you've got to bring in now, I know I saw Gerard Mayo seems like he's the leader in the clubhouse here, the way they even structured his contract. They wouldn't have to go through the normal hiring process if they wanted to bring him on as the head coach dad. But, you know, and again, Pressure's all relative. These coaches all believe they can go in and do a good job. But for the Kraft family now, this is going to be a huge part of their legacy, how you handle the dismount and the next step in this franchise. Yeah, it definitely is. Um, I, I have a feeling it's, it, would be, it would end up being Gerard Mayo. You look at, he's 37 years old. You look at, because what owners do is they look at what other teams do, right? And I don't know how much Kraft does that because they've been at the top of the mountain for so long. But you see a success of like Houston had. D'Amico Ryans is 39 years old. Gerard Mayo is 37 years old. You know, you, you bring a guy, I'm not going to sit there and go with the linebacker connection. You got a guy who knows the system there and, and the way things are done and, and had done it under Bill. So while I wouldn't expect the Bill Belichick way to be the Gerard Mayo way, he's gonna, he would do his own way. I could see that just happening, right? Instead of bringing in the, uh, a retread or a different coordinator um bring in bring in this guy now he's a defensive he's a uh, defensive guy in mayo so then it would be really interesting on who he hired on the offensive side right because that's the side of the ball they need that work on they have to figure out the quarterback position to work on because it's always been a tough defense mayo was a linebacker mayo is on that side of the ball so that would be the interesting conversation i think that he would have with robert Kraft on who he would want to bring in on the offensive side of the ball it's either that or Robert Kraft thinks, I need to bring in an offensive guy. I need to bring in a, maybe a young offensive mind uh, to get this offense going. So, you know, I, th I thought Robert Kraft gave a, a really good interview uh, as well about it. He was pretty candid about, you know, what you look for next and such. Didn't, didn't lead down any path or anything. Uh, but but it, just, it just seems to me like Mayo 
would be the, the, the good succession right now. Yeah, if you don't want to go away from the identity altogether that's been there, right. it'd be a nice transition plan where you can start to go towards the future. And forget, listen, say it out loud. Let's start a linebacker trend in NFL head coaching. Yeah. We've done the pipeline thing with so many offensive coordinators from the Shanahan McVay tree. Let's start the linebacker tree and just get former tone setters from the middle taking over NFL sidelines there. We'll obviously get to wait with that. It's part of an incredibly compelling coaching offseason in the NFL. We will get to the full preview, obviously, of Super Wildcard Weekend. We've got the Golic acrostic coming up here in the next hour. But uh, Emerson, we yesterday uh, on the other job that is like this in college football with the Alabama Crimson Tide, we saw the beginning of flight tracking season. We saw the beginning yeah. of the coaching search there. And we saw a very public rebuff of the Crimson Tide by Dan Lanning at Oregon. Yeah, for sure. Alabama's next head coach will not be Dan Lanning. So he's been a popular name as a potential heir apparent to Nick Saban. He's staying at Oregon. And that is according to Dan Lanning himself. Four. Who has goals and aspirations? Raise your hand up. All right, everybody got goals and aspirations. You know how you get those? You be the best where you're at. If that's how you reach goals and aspirations, that's how great things happen. It's not about worrying about the next thing. It's about worrying what's right in front of you, six inches right in front of your face. I want to remind you guys what that means. You guys that just got here don't know them. Right, it means something to be an Oregon Duck. Everybody makes what? They all, they all make commitments to things that they're going to do. A lot of stars. The world doesn't have a lot of what? Finishers. We're finishers. I want to be here in Eugene for as long as Eugene will have me. This place has everything that I could possibly ever want. There's a little bit of a problem in society today with people looking for what's next and where where there's an opportunity. And the reality is, you know, the grass is not always greener. In fact, the grass is damn green in Eugene. listening and not watching the text that flashed over at the end there said if you're worried about your coach leaving come to Oregon because the Ducks aren't <laughs> going anywhere and I'm not going anywhere dad Dan Lanning and the Oregon Ducks have been doing videos like this coming off every game during yeah. the season and flipped the coaching rumors of Alabama that had flight trackers saying there were flights from Eugene into Tuscaloosa and all this stuff flipped it into a hype video for recruiting purposes in a way that is exactly why you were Alabama wanting Dan Lanning because he understood understands the game right now in a way that I think very few young coaches do. So I wonder if, if to if be to, you know, in the beginning of next week, it'll come out that Dan Landing got a bump in salary, right? I mean, because the, those agents now, the agents of he and Kalen DeBoer and Mike Norvell and Steve Sarkeesian are all trying to get their, their coaches uh, more money to stay where they are or a monster bag if they're thinking about going uh, to Alabama. So that had to make the players feel good, you know, because that's it's one of the things that has definitely changed over time is that coach sitting in a living room and saying, I'm going to be there for your for your your son. You know, you you were a parent to him at home. I am going to be pseudo that while he is in his college years. And now that just falls on deaf ears because coaches leave and now players can leave uh, as well. And that's one of the things Saban said about why he was gone. He said he couldn't commit to these players because he would be more year to year because of his age and, and, and how it's all going and that he couldn't commit to these guys for the three, four years to, the, to those players and the parents. 
And, and, and he couldn't do that. I, I thought it interesting, too, with Saban. He said five minutes before the team meeting, he was still deciding what to do and talking to his wife, Miss Terry, about it all the way up to that meeting, which leads me to wonder, Mike, is he going to have some of that regret? Because it doesn't sound like it was 100% I'm in with both feet retiring if he's saying he's doing it five minutes before the team meeting. And he said he's going to be around to help find the new coach. I wonder what his input is. I wonder, you know they're asking him names as well. So now you take one name out in Dan Lanning, who is secure at Oregon, now going to the Big Ten, you know, making that, that one, one of the two super conferences we have. So, you know, we, there's always the odds out there of who is going to be the next coach. But I'll be interested in Nick Saban's view on this and and what he's contributing to the AD there as far as thoughts on who should be the next coach. Well, Junior, I was going to yeah. say, even after the video, Dan Lanning still has the fourth best odds to be the next coach at Alabama. It's, it's unbelievable how persistent I'd imagine the people with money are down there. The other names that have sort of been mentioned in the wake of that video have been Mike Norvell at Florida State, yep. who obviously has done an incredible job turning around that program from I remember calling their game against Louisville where they started off 0-4 in 2021, 0-4 for I think the first time since the late 1970s in Tallahassee to now a team that won 10 games a year ago, may almost and should have made the college football playoff as an undefeated team this year, has worked the portal really well during his time there, bringing over a lot of great wide receiver talent. That was such a hallmark of that big play offense. Kalen DeBoer is another name that's getting brought up right now, and I'd have to imagine has Washington fans extremely rattled considering dad they're fresh off a national championship appearance yeah. they feel like they've got a guy that can help them through this transition to the big 10 as uh, this is part of the calculus right we said this for oregon is they're well resourced phil knight is a backer there we know what oregon's been as one of the standard bearers when it comes to upgrading facilities and the other kind of things that are going to be around a program that you need but also now getting the big television contract dollars that come with being one of the teams in the power two conferences in the big 10 and the sec see Washington and Kalen DeBoer are positioned to be much in the same way but this is also a Washington team dad that is going to look a lot different next year with the amount of talent they're graduating especially on offense at some key positions at wide receiver at quarterback along the offensive line and so this is a guy who because of what he's done at Washington in short order being able to come in and really structure that program in a way that looks sound that despite neither of these guys having experience in SEC country in the south uh, I'd imagine just from a football standpoint, especially for Kalen, an X's and O's standpoint, a lot of appeal. It will be interesting, though, Mike, because you think Alabama job open. I mean, there's, there's I mean, talk about right at the top of the list of, of a great job opening. Now, you'd be following Nick Saban, which is certainly tough to do. What about when, if big-time coaches start to say no? You know, I mean, already you have Dan Lanning. You know, let, let's see what the – because these other guys are in nice situations. You know, uh, Norvell, we saw the injury just cost him from being in the Final Four. DeBoer was there in the title game. Sarkeesian was in the playoffs. It'll be interesting if you start getting no's because the bag is full where they are. They're building what they have there. They're not following Nick Saban. So these are all schools and coaches you're talking about are part of schools that can match Alabama money. You know, that, that, that can well, – without question uh, – 
I would I would disagree in Florida State's case. Yeah. I do not think they're capable of ponying up that kind of money because they would. I think they would have fired him a couple of years ago if they had the kind of money around there to well, make those moves. Well, they, they may not either because they got in trouble with the NCAA and they can't deal with suit and collectives anymore. So that may cost yeah. them uh, uh, money. So that, that, that will be the interesting part to me is if some of these coaches who start to say no and deep down in the truthful serum type thing, what coach Alabama gets, where was that coach on their want list. And Junior, like Norvell sent out a tweet yesterday that started with, great day to be a Florida State Seminole while mentioning that a hashtag big man was coming to the program. So with that tweet, I think some Alabama fans began crossing his name off the coaching candidate list. That ain't enough for me. You got to be. Yeah. Yeah. No, no, I agree. No, I agree. I'm just saying. You're going to say no. Yeah. You got to say no via incredibly well done <laughs> yeah. video. Yeah. By the way, also, quick shout out as people mention the top three candidates. Alabama offensive coordinator Tommy Reese getting some consideration. He's considered the only internal candidate being evaluated there. And I know the Tommy Reese haters out there are furious, and I can't wait to yeah. drink the sweet milk of your tears, finding out where Tommy ends up, considering all he's done in the last two seasons is take an Alabama team that most people looked at as one of the lesser talented in quite a while on a quarterback in Jalen Milrow who didn't look like the last few quarterbacks in terms of talent to the playoff after taking a Drew Pine-led Notre Dame team to the Gator Bowl for a win there here. Eat it. Hey, Dad, what do you do when you're out with friends, the waiter comes up and tries to take everybody's order, but the whole table freezes up and everyone's looking at each other trying to find some help? Mm, that's a great question. So what, what should I do? You should have some confidence, Dad, or as our friends at Jägermeister call it, shotfidence. If everyone's having trouble ordering, here's what you do. You take charge. You grab the bull by the horns. You find that dog in you, and you make an executive decision. And just order for the table a round of ice-cold Jägermeister shots. Damn, that's cold. Because apparently, we've all been drinking Jägermeister wrong. Did not know that. How should we be drinking it? Glad you asked, Dad. We should be drinking it ice cold at zero degrees Fahrenheit. Well, that brings up other things that I love ice cold as well. And I'll tell you right out of the gate, that's going to be a candy bar pulled out of the freezer. That's my way of eating candy. Oh, I love it. On the golf course out there, you get to the turn in the middle of the round there, and you get to that little clubhouse there, and they've always got the candy bar options, and I always see they've usually got a little box of them in the freezer, and it always makes it better on a hot day out on the golf course, taking a bite of that cold, cold chocolate and getting ready to go for the rest of my round. It's the same way with Jägermeister. So wherever you are, if you're hanging out with friends at the bar, call the shots. Cheers with ice-cold shots of Jägermeister. Damn, that's cold. And remember to check out Jägermeister at www.draftkingsxjägermeister.com. Remember, drink responsibly. Jägermeister liqueur, 35% alcohol by volume. Imported by Mast Jägermeister US, White Plains, New York. All right, with three legendary coaches deciding to ride off into the sunset, at least currently yesterday, it's not shocking that a current coach not being let go, sticking around was kind of Swept under the rug a little bit. That's what happened in Chicago. Matt Eberflus was retained as the head man for the Bears, although the team did relieve offensive coordinator Luke Getze of his duty. So here is Chicago general manager Ryan Poles on why he thinks Eberflus is still the man for the job in Chicago. Just in terms of his leadership and stability, I really think that the head coach needs to be able to captain the ship when the seas are storm or the, when the seas have storms and really keep everything settled. Uh, when you go through hard times and you can keep everyone together, to me, that's like the critical piece uh, in a big, uh, in a market like this. 
like you have to be strong. I mean, if he's jumping off the boat and everyone else starts jumping off the boat, it's a hot mess. So the stability was a big piece of it. Um, the detail that he coaches with, taking some of the mistakes from the game, uh, bringing them to practice, and making sure that we're doing things the right way. I saw a lot of progress in that. There's a reason why we went from three to seven wins. There are, the player aspect of it is important, but also the detail and bringing the team together and sticking through those hard times allowed us to push through. And, and you saw a lot of those wins happening towards the back end of the season. All right, Gojo, he says the player aspect is important, so one can maybe read into this decision to keep Iberflus as an acknowledgement that the Bears will stick with Fields because the head coach will need to win in 2024, obviously, and maybe Fields is the best chance to do so. What do you think? I still think that's pretty up in the air, and I think Ryan Poles, to his credit, has done a really good job in almost all of his public comments being pretty agnostic about their plans for the number one overall pick because he understands, hey, it's good for business to have everyone not knowing what we're going to do at that spot. Maybe you get some insane offer that's impossible to turn down and you're able to do that. You keep interest in Justin Fields that way. So, Dad, I ultimately think that is the right decision there. And the right decision when it comes to the head coaching tenure we kind of talked about this yesterday is complicated because of the opportunity available this offseason with all the coaches there Matt Eberflus deserves a lot of credit because at this point in the season I don't think we remember how bad it was for the Bears at the start of the year like we went through all of the very strange stuff surrounding the departure of Alan Williams their defensive coordinator early in the season you had Justin Fields stepping in it in front of the microphone criticizing coaching and then having to backtrack on criticizing coaching all while the team was in a bit of a tailspin and then from midseason on they pulled out of it and as a guy we always talk about this he was a defensive coach coming over the defense kicked into gear the second half of the year Montez Sweat got there and they became one of the best defenses in all of football and so he does deserve a ton of credit as Ryan Poles indicated for steering them through some very turbulent waters he, he does and, and he has um Listen, either way, you're starting with another, you know, offensive coordinator. Remember, Matt Eberflus is the defensive coach. So we had talked, and I did a couple of Bears games and, and between a couple years ago and this year, and even and I wasn't alone in saying I didn't understand some of the play calls for Justin Fields and using his talents. And we figured this was going to be a parting of the ways with Lou Getze, the offensive coordinator. I think the two things we saw for sure was that uh, Canada, Matt Canada was going to be gone in Pittsburgh, which he was during the season, and Getsy was going to be gone at some point, and he was uh, after the season. So that, again, all eyes on that hire by Matt Eberflus. Who are you getting to run the offense? Because now Justin Fields is dealing with a different system. And that's while you know nobody's going to feel sorry for a player, they're going to say adapt and, and survive, uh, that is difficult to do, not for the court and just for the quarterback, but everybody else. Listen, they still need more help. They got help. They got DJ Moore, who had over 1,300 yards in the trade. Cole Komet took the next step up. They need another receiver. They need a, a heavy hit and running back. Fields led the league, uh, led the team in rushing as well. Defensively, they started fixing some issues, getting Montez Sweat in that trade and giving him the deal. He did uh, extremely well. So it's a team, I think, hopefully st- – hopefully pointing in the right direction but now the biggest decision is to be made about the most important decision what are they going to do a quarterback and and you're right I mean Ryan Poles and Matt Eberflus are not going to tip their hand at all about this but you know feverishly behind the scenes 
you know, you wonder what kind of phone calls are being made or taken as to the value of that number one. They remember, they have the number one pick and the number nine pick. So they have, they got some power there to pull in some assets or just say, we're going to take, you know, the best quarterback out there if we feel, you know, he's, he's better than what we have. And we know how that works. You see it, you see a player like Fields who has shown some really good stuff but has turned the ball over a lot. So you kind of see where he is to the that P word, the potential, you know, of a Caleb Williams or a Drake May, the two, you know, that's those two and then everybody else, that you say, yeah. we have to see what that potential is like because what you don't want to do is be the guys that say, we're not going to pick him, and they go to another team and they CJ Stroud it, you know, and they play great, and you're, oh, God, we could have had that, uh, and they didn't get it. Sometimes GMs uh, or ownership of teams just can't help themselves and say, if this guy is as highly rated as everybody thinks and as highly rated as we think, we can't can't pass him up well I think it's 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 certainly potential is a part of that but I think it's also resetting the timeline a bit because with Justin they're going to be coming up on money decisions soon with him after this next season and dad it's a guy that you mentioned another coordinator in his ear a guy who we saw finally I think make some progress in areas that people wanted but still holds on to the ball too long still takes too many sacks in a lot of these cases even as I think their offensive line has improved personnel wise time under task together and some of it is just the stuff that yeah that development's going to be a little stunted and you can hold Justin accountable for part of that but part of that also is hey the amount of changing coaching around a young player helps set that foundation and you wonder if you keep waiting around for the Justin Fields that you drafted as highly as you did under the prior administration if that's going to you know keep expecting different things as you keep churning around him or if it makes more sense to say hey we're gonna we understand this is partially on us as the Chicago Bears Justin Fields is going to be somebody's starter next year. He played yeah. well enough to do that, there's no doubt. But if you're Chicago, you're not just expecting him to be your starter. You're expecting him to be your franchise savior. No, you're not taking a chance or a flyer on this dude. It's about him being your future. And if you're confident that he is able to do that, or you believe you need to make a change in that spot. But like I said yesterday, you're in a real a spot where it is really difficult. You've got to thread a very narrow passageway for success here because... If you bring on a new quarterback, now all of a sudden you reset that clock, but it's with Matt Eberflus who walks into this season fresh off having to fire a coordinator and probably being the next guy up that would get fired if things went poorly there, or you stick with Justin Fields who's going to deal with that different voice. Either way, it's a very, very rocky foundation going into this. It's going to be interesting of, of where this goes. I think they're going to reset. I, I think they're going to reset I do too. I do too. Um, with, with a Caleb Williams and in all honesty, I look forward to seeing where Justin Fields ends up. People are putting him in Atlanta. Uh, mm-hmm. How about oh, if God you're goodness. not going to bring back Russell Wilson, how about Denver? You know, is that somebody Sean Payton would like to work with? I, I don't know. But he's, he is going to be somewhere, and I'll be – but and no matter where he goes, Justin Fields is going to be with another new offensive coordinator for his career. Yeah. It's one of those things where, you know, it just happens to some quarterbacks, new quarterbacks more than others. But he will be somewhere. You are right. And I, I do think Chicago resets because there is something to resetting with the money. Uh, but also to your point, and I know we've talked about this, if you reset 
with a new quarterback and things, you know, the season doesn't go well, which a lot of times is the expectation, though people get blinded by the C.J. Stroud-Houston thing, then Eberflus is probably going to lose his job, and then you're kind of starting over again there with a new quarterback. I mean, that's that's what I'm saying. It's been this, like, never-ending cycle of, like, this inability to get the general manager, the coach, and the quarterback on the same page in Chicago. It feels like season in and season out, year in and year out. Well, and that's the difficult part here is – it would have made sense structurally for Chicago to move on from Matt Eberflus for that reason. You've got this incredibly rich pool of talented coaches that are in the hiring cycle right now, much like we talk about opportunity cost for the quarterbacks at the top of this draft. There is some of that for the coaches available where you would have gotten a quality candidate, especially if the Bears' job had come open. With all that capital, with what they've got potentially at quarterback Mm. and the foundation set by Matt Eberflus, that, I have to imagine, would have been one of the most appealing jobs in football and would have gotten you on the right timeline and leadership requires risks and if Ryan Poles believes Matt Eberflus is the guy then you do whatever you have to to keep him around uh speaking of guys we want to keep around coming up next Steve Avila offensive guard for the Rams going to join us and talk about their game this weekend next The NBA playoffs are heating up, and so is the action at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. With same-game parlays, live betting, odds boosts, and so much more, don't miss out as the NBA postseason winds down. And if you're new to DraftKings, you got to check this out. New customers can bet 5 bucks to get 150 in bonus bets instantly. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use code GOJO. That's code GOJO for new customers to get 150 in bonus bets when you bet just 5 bucks. Only on DraftKings. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. That's 467-369. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly. On behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort in Kansas, 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction. Void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.co slash bball for eligibility and deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. Appreciate the time. Still playing ball. It's a beautiful thing. Well, you're used to it from, uh, you know, yeah. uh, going on in the playoffs and everything. Yeah, yeah, for sure, man. Um, a lot of people ask me, like, how I feel. I mean, I kind of feel the same, like, in terms of my body and stuff. I mean, because I feel like we were going this long um, last year. So, you know, I feel great. Ready I was going to go. say, do you, do you see yourself as the common denominator here? Because you look, TCU last year goes to the playoff in the title. This yeah. year they don't. The Rams last year missed the postseason. This year they make it. Have you accepted your powers, and are you ready to use them responsibly? I will accept them. I'll accept it when we get to the Super Bowl and not do what we did last year in the championship. So <laughs> I'm going to say this to you, Steve, that there's three people on this on this Zoom right now Two people have been to a championship game, you and my son, Mike, and mm-hmm. they got rolled by Alabama in 2013. I mean, rolled bad. Mm-hmm. Like mm-hmm. you guys got rolled bad. You know what? <laughs> but but I at Notre Dame, I never went to a title game, and in nine years in the NFL, I never went to the Super Bowl. So I'm envious of you two. I don't <laughs> care what happens. You got there. You can't yeah. win a championship without being in the championship game. So mm-hmm. – Man, it doesn't matter. If you got smoked there, so what? You were there. That's the way I look at it, coming from a guy who was never there. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I mean, I take, you know, everything, you know, with the grain of salt. I mean, I feel like we did could have performed better, but also just being there is just such an experience, you know, to say that I, you know, we came from a team that was five and seven and we ended up going to the championship. So that definitely holds a special place in my heart, uh, just seeing, you know, everything that we went through. So, yeah. It was an incredible season. It's been an incredible season for you. You're the only Rams player on this team, offense or defense, to start every snap of this season. And you've done so as a rookie. So what's this transition been like for you, man, coming into the NFL, which I'm sure was a dream, but then immediately Mm -hmm. making the impact you have? Yeah, I mean, you know, I had to go in with the mindset of, you know, you're the guy to start. And that definitely was a little nerve wracking um, because, what, maybe a year and a half ago, I couldn't even imagine. So, uh, you know, I knew the expectations coming in and, you know, I just tried to be a sponge as much as I could just take in coaching when I could, um, you know, the big difference about, you know, the NFL and college is, you know, everybody here is, is good. You know, they're all here for a reason and, uh, you have to know that you're going to lose. And that's what was the toughest thing for me was, um, cause I, I beat myself up, man. I, I don't like to look at myself in the mirror at night and just lie to myself, um, so I remember the first couple of practices. I'm like, dude, I suck. <laughs> were, those, were those Aaron Donald related instances there? No, that-, that, that, that was what the problem was, is that it wasn't him. <laughs> so, um, no, but I mean, it just, just goes to show, you know, how, how good the competition is, you know, in the NFL. But, um, you know, you take those losses and you learn from them. And I feel like that's what we all have done. Um, me and, you know, all the other rookies and the players, you know, that helped this team get to where we are. You guys on the offensive line have been a big part of the story of the resurgence of this Rams team this year. And people describing the Rams as physical and downhill didn't happen a lot before you got there. So I'm curious, you didn't have any association with what went on before, but when you guys started this season, when you're in OTAs and in camp, how much was that a directive from Sean McVay and the rest of the staff that they wanted this to be the identity of the team? That definitely was one of the major. And it's funny because I can't recall, you know, he specifically came in. And he was like, we are going to change the identity, you know, of our offense and what we do, uh, specifically offensive line. You know, we're going to try to run the ball down their throat. And I feel like the first telling of that was, I guess, you know, drafting me. Um, you know, I felt like they uh, did their research um, and looked at, you know, what I did in college. And uh, I feel like they're utilizing me, you know, to the best of my ability. And that's all you can ask for, you know, from a player. And I'm glad that, you know, I'm surrounded by coaches who bring out the best of me. What? So you guys get uh, traveling to Detroit uh, for this playoff game. So Take people, again, who can never be there down into the locker room or onto the field in during the week, your preparation. How do you prepare individually for the matchups you're going to have or when you're going to face a new team like this you haven't played this year? Yeah, I mean, I mean, the only thing you really the most you probably can do is just watch film. You just got to study how guys, you know, do things and how, what what they struggle against and what they excel against. Um, that's definitely a key uh, thing that we focus on. And I feel like the, our coaches do a good job of breaking things down. Um, we meet, we have a bunch of meetings and um, we have, you know, a bunch of coaches who know what they're talking about uh, specifically in the O-line room and players, man, who've played a lot of ball um, that just help out with the technicals of how this person plays. And I feel like that honestly prepares us uh, the most. It best prepares us for the game. So, um, you know, I take in a lot of those things that we learn through the week and, you know, go out there in the game. And, you know, it's definitely a lot easier, you know, when you do things like that. Who are the player or players that have helped you the most when you reference something like that? Yeah, I mean, Brian Allen, who's played a lot of ball. Coleman Shelton, who knows a lot of ball. He's played a lot of ball. And Rob Havenstein, you know, who's played a lot of ball. So those three, you know, 
I feel like are just the masterminds, you know, in the offensive line room. They've de- I'm telling you, man, they've helped me out so much. Um, when you talk about being a sponge, that's all I've tried to be, especially now. Like even now, man, I'm still learning stuff. And, um, you know, I try to improve on something at least, you know, one time a week. Um, so, yeah. So you obviously have some size too. You listed at three thirty-two. I don't know what the actual weight is, but you're a large human being. So when you play, would you rather play against another large human being, three thirty, three forty, three fifty, who doesn't move as well as, or a two hundred eighty-five pound, really quick dude? Yeah, I mean, there's pros and cons to both. I wouldn't say I'd specifically prefer one or the other. Um, I do feel like one of the my strengths is I am a big body, but I also move quickly. So when I do match up against those bigger bodies, I have the advantage of being, you know, quicker than them. So um, that definitely helps me out. And especially in going against the power, I mean, I can sit down and anchor on those. Um, going against a quicker guy, I mean, in the run game, you know, that's where you got to make your money at when you're going against a guy who just doesn't weigh as much. Um, they can be a little bit more of a hassle in, in the past game. But um, again, you know, when you watch the film and you, you see what you need to do, um, those are the things that, that all comes together. It's like a puzzle. So, um, you know, after the game, you can really analyze like, hey, did I do enough to prepare for this guy? And what didn't I do so I can, you know, prepare better next time? So with with a number of rookies starting, but everybody still has their own timeline of this. When did you feel comfortable? Like this is, this is, I, I'm, I'm, this is where I, I should be. Yeah. Oh man. I would say it took maybe four or five games. Um, because dude, I just, another thing too, man, just growing up, you hear about these names, um, just the big names. I yeah. Aaron Donald is starting with number one and you're just like, Oh my God, like I'm about to go against this guy. Um, but there was a, a bunch of jitters going into the first few games. Uh, it really didn't affect how I played. It was just more of like a mental thing. Uh, I remember a lot of people have like a welcome to the NFL moment. I didn't really have one, but it was more of just we were playing in Seattle and um, they're doing introductions and Bobby Wagner came back to Seattle. And, they, and that was I was like, oh, my God, they called his name and it just got so loud. But it, that sets the tone. You know, it's like, oh, my God. It's Bobby Wagner. Um, so, <laughs> <That's> true. <laughs> yeah, so when you're going against a guy like that, I mean, when he was lined up in front of me, I'm like, oh, my gosh, like I'm about to block him. And those are the things that you think about. I think it's another thing that doesn't change from college to pro. One thing, the further away you are from the ball, the more people talk, right? I, mm. I bet I bet you don't talk a lot of smack and a lot of too many D you know, linemen talk a lot of smack. It's funny because, I, again, like those first few games, it was more of just like do my job, like yeah. don't mess up. And then I got more comfortable. And it's, it's pretty fun. You know, you get to say a little thing here or there. And a lot of guys, you see a lot of personality out there. But, um, you know, that there's some guys who just have a switch that they turn on. They're just assholes. And it's just like, <laughs> calm down. You don't have to name names if you don't want. But is there a guy you encountered this year who either talked the most smack or the best smack of anybody that you've uh, You know, uh I, when we played the Eagles first going in, the first thing that I heard when we were watching them is like, this is the first thing. They're like, Brandon Graham is going to talk so much crap. Yeah. And, that's, and that's just how, that's just how, who the type of player he is. And um, no respect to him. And that's just all I heard the whole game. And I was like, bro, is this dude going to shut up? It's just, but, um, you know, I'm sure that gets him pumped up. But um, you know, just seeing personalities like that, you know, that's how, how it goes in the NFL. No, it is. Uh, it's definitely a, a lot of big personalities. He's a well-known one. And we'd imagine you're going to be a, a very, very well-known one as time keeps going along here. 
the way you're playing, man. So, Steve, we can't thank you enough for all the time. Best yeah. of luck this weekend. We're excited to watch you guys play, man. Mm-hmm. I appreciate you guys, man. Thanks for having me. Thanks, Steve. Time to break some news here on Gojo and Golik. That's right, baby. Buckle up. The New England Patriots embarking on a new era with Gerard Mayo as the head coach. Adam Schefter reporting the Pats have hired Mayo to be the replacement for Bill Belichick, who mutually agreed to part ways with the team just yesterday. So Robert Kraft here, Gojo, wanted to move fast on a hire. He did so by hiring the number one in-house option in Mayo, who reportedly was already part of a succession plan to eventually replace the greatest coach of all time. Yeah, Dad, I saw Ian Rappaport had been reporting this yesterday that the Patriots and Gerard Mayo had a succession plan almost contractually built into this that they had communicated with the NFL. Going back, because remember last January, he signed an extension that would keep him around for years. Bill Belichick has one year left. (laughs) on his current deal so a lot of people looked at a guy who was I think going to start to be more and more of a candidate bannered about in these hiring cycles signing that kind of long-term deal that even supersedes the head coach as all right there might be something afoot here and so now we see the fruits of that plan coming to fruition for the New England Patriots as Gerard Mayo uh, supersedes now Sean McVay and becomes the youngest head coach in the NFL and a guy who has spent his entire football life in New England. Yeah, that, that's what's going to be interesting. I've always talked about when you Google a coach, you look at all the stops that they made. You know, right now, Gerard Mayo, he was a first-round pick in 08, played with New England from 08 to 15, and then didn't get with the Patriots as a coach until 2019, and now he'll be the head coach. So for at least the foreseeable future, that's the only team that he's going to be a part of. And, you know, you can tell certain players if, if it's a route they want to go, if they kind of have that in them. And he's always been that first in, last out guy. He's a film junkie, uh, especially even in the offseason when nobody's around. He's in watching film all the time. You, know, you talk about the great draft day. He was, a, he, he was, a, he was a, the 10th the pick overall in that draft in the, in the first round. And he was a guy who was raking leaves on draft day when he, he wasn't in New York. He was staying home with his, by his parents and raking leaves and such. Uh, so he kind of had that tendency of that hard worker if this is a route he wanted to go down. What will be interesting is the staff. Does he keep Bill O'Brien on yeah. as the offensive coordinator? Remember, Belichick has two kids on that staff. And oh, by the way, sure. Gerard Mayo's brother, Duran, is the assistant strength and conditioning coach. And he was actually hired there in 18, a year before Gerard Mayo got there. Now, Duran was a, was a linebacker for the Calgary Stampeders. He played in the CFL. Um, but yeah, he's been actually with New England a year longer than Gerard has. So I'd imagine he's going to be hanging around. But it'll be interesting what, and I don't mean that in a, in a nepotism way. I mean that in, you know, he's, he's, I doubt his brother's going to let him go. Let me just put it that way. Maybe yeah, it is in some a real succession deal. stuff in there if he decided yeah. to come in and make his first yeah. order of business to just sit his brother down. Wait, does he keep but, Belichick's but, kids on the staff? I don't know. That's a thing. The rest of the staff, now what you normally do is you, you interview those coaches. Some may want to leave. Some may want to go, you know, and, and may want to start somewhere else. Who knows? But you interview them or at least guys – 
he already may have in mind that he's going to release some because as every new, even new head coaches, and he's now the youngest head coach, Mike, as you said, what they all have is a list, right? They all have because they're preparing for this. As you mentioned, he even had it written into his contract. So he has a list of assistants that he, he would like. You know, every guy that's going to be a head coach has that. So there are going to be guys on the staff without question, I think, that are that are going to be gone. How many? I, 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 we have no idea. And also, Gerard Mayo, it's not like he's been coaching that long where maybe that list is that deep at this point. But I'm certain he has some ideas. Yeah, I, I would agree. And I mean, most of everyone's going to look at the situation. You mentioned Bill O'Brien and wonder how in you know good conscience you bring him back, given that the offense was the massive failing of this season because the Patriots defense even weathering the storm of so many of the injuries to some of their best pass rushers certainly Christian Gonzalez their rookie first round pick out of Oregon still managed to be an incredibly compelling unit for much of the season and so you look at the influence there and I know people are I think I've seen people point to already Gerard Mayo's never even called defensive place that doesn't matter when it comes to being the no. head coach of the football no. team you're there to display you know manage men you're there to manage the entire operation and it does sound like everyone involved you're right from the time he was a player has identified this every player that you've heard talk about being teammates with Gerard Mayo has kind of indicated that he's always had this about him and so identifying those leadership capabilities and nurturing that's far more important to me than did the guy actually have to go out there and XO thing and call plays during the game so with New England at this point I think they have the third pick in the draft and you figure those two quarterbacks are going one-two. Uh, do you draft a quarter? Is Jaden Daniels a guy there? Do you trade for Justin Fields? Is that a guy that you think about trading for and using a quarter? Because that, as as with every team, is going to be the most important uh, decision and, yep. and position. And, and we know nobody on the ro- the roster there for the Patriots is the quarterback of the future there. So they have to go a different route there. But that's what you do with a young first-time head coach is sometimes you have to start over. Now, whether you're starting over with a rookie or a guy that's been in the league a couple of years like Justin Fields, we'll see. Uh, but, I, you know, it, it as you mentioned, it's in his contract. Let's not waste time. The press conference is next, next week. We hit the ground running. That's what you have to do in the offseason because that's the how first you, thing Bill Belichick always says is we're behind. Whenever they win the Super Bowl, after he says, yay, he says, now we're behind everybody else and we got to get back to work. How do you think Bill felt about that? if they knew that was written into Gerard Mayo's contract. Like, obviously, he's a guy that Bill was a part of drafting. He was a guy that Bill knew well enough and thought enough of as a player to bring on as a coach in that way. But it's a little bit different when all of a sudden now you can basically see the right – and maybe he had a hand in that. Maybe he understood that and had handpicked his successor. But we do know, again, going back to the central thesis, that Bill Belichick – at least the way he indicated, still wanted to coach here, and then it was framed as the mutual parting of ways. I wonder how he did feel about that. Yeah, it is interesting because there's no timetable to it. You just have it written into your contract. It could be 10 years down the road. Uh, you know, but, but, in sure. this case, but in this case, you're right. The word mutual isn't mutual. Bill wanted to keep coaching, and they were ready to move on. And it doesn't shock me. A lot of times you go opposite of what you had, a defensive coach to an offensive coach here, a coach who's been around forever uh, to a, the youngest head coach ever. I mean, you, can't, you almost can't 180 it more than this, right? But at least he has some of that Patriot or Belichick way about him. So that, to me, will be interesting because, you know, it's turning into linebacker you for head coaches between D'Amico Ryan's Antonio Pierce 
worse if he keeps a job in Vegas. Now yeah. Gerard Mayo, and you're right, Mike, it's about dealing with players and how well Antonio Pierce has dealt with players. And you hear the same thing with Gerard Mayo and dealing with players. And it's just it's just a different era of players now, and these guys are, are closer to that, to, to dealing with players of that age. Well, you think about, too, just the natural leadership that comes with that position. Like, I understand it's not all – it's no, it's not – to a man but you think of linebacker as the quarterback yep. of the defense we always hear it stated that way and so you've got to be one of those guys whether it's as the communicator if you're the green dot player who's getting the calls from the sideline or just in general that's sort of the role a lot of these guys can fall into and so you can kind of understand why maybe that position defensively would track to this spot interesting note from diana russini our good friend and senior nfl reporter over at the athletic said the new england patriots never reached out to a single person including hot names like Jim Harbaugh, Mike Vrabel, or even Ben Johnson per sources. They made their decision less than a day after firing Bill Belichick with a plan in place. But if it was written into his contract, there is no choice, right? I mean, if it's written into the contract that you're the next head coach, I guess this would seem normal that, okay, it's in his contract, he's the next head coach. We're not, you know, we're not dilly-dallying around with this or bringing in anybody else to interview because we don't have to, and this is what we have as the next coach. I think what the other potentially interesting thing here is also now the GM position here because normally you've got the GM in place before you hire the coach the Patriots are a place that haven't had to hire a true GM in quite some time because Bill Belichick has always had final control of this roster I know Elliot Wolf a guy internally their director of scouting is someone whose name's been bantered around dad you'd have to imagine given the way they did this an internal candidate has to be highly likely considering the order of how this has gone Yep, I agree. I think they do keep it all in-house and just try and keep it running. And, and while it's not running well, you know, it needs to see the mechanic for sure to get some to get repairs. It, I think it is going to stay in-house and the trust there uh, in-house and just the next moves that are made. So, you know, a sharp eye will be kept on Gerard Mayo now, especially starting with the staff. And then when they get together with who is going to be the pick. Run and check on the dogs quick because my wife's not here. Oh. Who's going to toss a bath bomb in your bath for you? 